You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, what's up? Before you listen, I have a quick request from you. While you're over here listening, go ahead on down, give us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple Music. Let us know how much you appreciate what we bring, the conversation, the dialogue. Tell us how it supports you. Give us that good five star. We appreciate you. We are live. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host, India Jackson, and a special guest to get the dialogue going. Well, hello. I always love the live episodes because I get to be extra funny and I'm, I don't know if I'm funny, but here I am. I'm trying. (laughs) Hello, ma'am. Good morning, India. Good morning. I am so excited for today. We have been on a month long conversation about voting in our community. So many things have come up. And as we're recording this, it's like right after the presidential debate. So, oh, child. Oh, that. Um, but when I thought about voting, when I, I think what we have in common is we see that one of the most important ways we can vote on a day to day basis is to vote with our dollars, to use every dollar we spend as a ballot to vote for a business or against a business, and to be really intentional about where we spend our money, how we invest our money. And so when I think about money, one of the first names that comes to mind for me is always Jaquette Timmons. She's amazing. (laughs) We are so excited to have her here today. And if you haven't heard of her, A, what rock have you been living under? B, (laughs) I want to tell you about her. So Jaquette Timmons focuses on the human side of money. She works as a financial behaviorist and is committed to getting you to see that you don't manage money. You manage your choices around your money. She holds an MBA in finance and an undergraduate in marketing, a combination she credits in part for being able to blend her analytical mind and her creative spirit in service to helping people shift how they look at money, how they perceive its role in their life, and how they give it direction. Jaquette, thank you so much for being here today with us. 
Oh my goodness, I am so delighted. I have been looking forward to this. So thank you again for the invitation and thank you that it's the day is finally here. <laughs> I know, thank you for accepting. This is exciting because I feel like it was already a conversation that I think was timely and needed to happen. And then after last night, oh, oh boy. I, <laughs> yeah. I still need something to bring my nervous system back down off of that. That yes. was terrible. That was a shipwreck beyond a shipwreck. <laughs> and and it was so difficult because there's part of you that's like, this is the best of the best that's going to lead the free world, but okay. But then at the same time, there was just this place of, it, it, I, what I noticed, um, because we were actually talking about it live in the community, which was a great part about um, us having this, but there really was this place of like, I have to do something. I can't just let this be like this. And mm -hmm. it really did activate people. And I think that that can look a lot of ways, but at the same time, it really made you so keenly aware of how important it is to not be a silent bystander and to be silently complicit, because if that is what you get from being silently complicit, I'm about to start hanging off of stuff like King Kong yelling at people because I can't, <laughs> this is not okay. It's, it's, it's crazy, it's scary. And what I find really challenging about the, the debate last night and what it kind of, the sentiment that it, it it at least created in me for a brief moment is you you are so exhausted from everything and then you go through that and it either does one or two things it either activates you to do something or it activates you to not do anything and to become complacent and so that activism if you will or that motion is probably a better word for it can be in either direction. And I think mm -hmm. what we can allow it to do is have it be in the direction of just acquiescing and just not doing anything because we don't feel like yes. we have the power. So I think it's all about also helping us to reclaim our power, even if whatever that may look like is not as large as you want or envisioned. Yeah, I think not saying anything, um, is, is not an option, but yet I do think that there were some people, like there was one point the coverage that I was watching, they were also talking to some um, undecided voters, which I'm just like, that's a thing right now, but okay. Um, there were some people that they actually looked more confused and unsettled after the fact, which yes. I couldn't wrap my brain around that. But what you said is very true because for some people, it simply paralyzes them more, like literally makes them, you mm -hmm. can't move forward. You can't move back. You can't make decisions. And I'm just like, this can't be a thing. Like what about this gives you any inkling that no movement is the answer right now? And so that's where like, I actually want to ask you like, what, where does that come from? that when there's so much on the table, literally and figuratively, that people are just doing this because I think that it absolutely does affect their money, but it's affecting people's lives, people's freedoms, everything. And they're yes. just stopping. What do you think that is? You know, it's interesting because 
maybe it's maybe I benefit from not having cable, so I have very limited news coverage. <laughs> it is a benefit. I've got local and I've got NPR, right? So you say do with that whatever you will. However, what I find fascinating is whenever I see people who say that they're not going to vote or that um, they are undecided, I always think to myself, you're the one though that's not going to be as affected as those of us that look like the three of us Yes. If we have another four years of this. And mm -hmm. I was having this conversation with a friend who's actually white and I was asking her and so for context, she's white and she has a black husband and therefore biracial children. And I was asking her, what kind of conversations are you having with your white friends? Because I can't imagine a situation where you're not having blunt, frank conversations with folks when you can, if you are in the position yeah. to have them, that you're not doing it. And I shared with her how last year, uh, June this time, for context, when my mother and I, my parents separated, my mother and I left New York City and we moved to a college town outside of Buffalo. So that's where I grew up. And last year I went up to Buffalo to take care of some things and had to drive to Olean and it's about an hour and a half drive and all of my years you know there's the old adage that says the further up north you go the deeper in the south you go there's a lot of truth to that mm -hmm. but in all of my years I've never ever had to or never felt that I needed to contemplate what time is my plane arriving into Buffalo Airport and will I be in Olean before it's dark I've never had to think about that yeah. I did last year. Mm. And so I say the, to, in the conversation with my friend, the problem with people that say they, they're just going to not vote for anybody because they don't like they don't like Biden as the alternative or they don't like Hillary as the alternative or like, what's the big deal? I'm like, because you're not the one who's actually having to actually have a, con a calculated decision about your travel because you don't want to be on the road potentially by yourself at night. Yeah, you don't have to think about the conversations you have to have with your children. And maybe nope. she doesn't realize that. But as somebody whose husband is white and my children are biracial, I do have to have those conversations because they show up in the world as brown. And mm -hmm. so, Facts. you know, where you go and what time you need to be in or out of somewhere, whether mm -hmm. or not somebody's going to look at you funny, if you have to go inside of your pocket or your bag just a little too deep. Mm -hmm. There's a number of things that people don't consider. And I had a conversation with someone not too long ago around just the fact of how for some people, there's this free access to, to be able to make decisions and to choose things and to say, oh, I want this or I want to do this. And that's not a given. And I don't think that people truly consider how deep that runs when it doesn't apply to them, which is why that whole reconsidering your normal is so important. And just when you think you got a piece, you have no idea. Right. Right. Okay. So I'd be curious, the, the, the media that you saw last evening where they were talking with the undecideds, I'd be curious to know how many of them were white, how many of them were black undecided or brown, you know, Latinx. I'd really be curious because I just don't understand yeah. it. Well, I just don't understand it. And so the one I watched, I think there were maybe two or three that mm -hmm. that sh that showed that they were of color. 
uh-huh. there were a number of women. One was a first time voter. One mm-hmm. was a teacher. Um, one, I think, was a black man. I want to say he was a veteran. I was like, I am so confused here. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, you can't see India's How face. She's got undecided? the, she has the what? The Scooby face. The what? <laughs> because that was how I felt. I'm like, right. if I had seen a room of 12 middle-aged white women, I would have understood that because it's very clear if you didn't already understand that it was white women that caused it to happen four years ago. But to see such a, um, not fully, they were not diverse of thought, but I'm going to say diverse on the surface group of people. And I was like, you really don't know? You're not sure? I don't understand this. And you, you think that you're voting off principle? Do you think that that's what's happening right now? But here's what also makes what you observed not only, you know, jaw dropping with regards to that. Let's just piggyback on what happened last week with the CEO of Wells Fargo, where he had (laughs) the admitting gall to say that he can't find black talent. And I say to myself, huh? How is that possible? So I say, yeah. I say to myself two things. I say to myself, huh, how is that possible? Then I also say, oh my God, what must the employees that actually do work there, what must they think of you? Because what you've also now have just done is you've just dismissed the talent that is already in, within your organization. Absolutely. And you basically mm-hmm. sent them a signal that says, A, we don't value you, and B, we're not going to invest in you to get you ready for senior level positions or, you know, C-suite opportunities. And that's the CEO of A, a publicly traded company and a major financial institution. Well, the interesting thing about that, though, is that it's be these things aren't new. We're just hearing about them. And it's become such commonplace to hear at least one a week. Because I think it was over the weekend when all of the foolishness around Hootsuite came out and it was like, wait, you're going to do a three-year contract with ICE? So yes. human uh, human rights atrocities don't matter to you? And then they came back and said, I don't remember how they, they exactly said it, but it was basically due to the negative press, we're not going to do this. And I was like, this not is the worst unapology ever. <laughs> Nothing. And... It really makes you think about like, where are you spending your money? Because we, you know, when you invest in a social media scheduler, when you decide to put your money into the bank that you choose for your business account, you're not Mm -hmm. thinking necessarily about what are they doing? What are their values? What are they supporting? And I think that we can no longer ignore that question anymore. And there has now become this distrust of businesses, which is a good thing, because I don't think we should blindly trust anything. We should ask ourselves, you know, deeper questions and research into things. But Mm -hmm. I just wonder, like, as three black women, for those that are listening and can't see us, um, you know, is there any brand or business out there that is actually trustworthy right now? Well, you know, I think if this is a really good time to spend some time doing a vendor audit and literally go through all of the different vendors with whom you are working. Um, look at what they said in June when everybody was 
putting out their Black Lives Matter statements and look at where they are now. <laughs> what progress have they made in that regard or what commitments have they really stayed true to? So that's one thing I think people can do is do a vendor audit. And in terms of you know the organizations that are, um, I think I can come up with a list faster of the, the ones that aren't. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a short list. You know, mm -hmm. it's funny you mentioned doing a quick audit of their content, especially like on Instagram or something like that, Twitter. One of the things that I've been looking at is also like if they have podcasts, um, what was happening before June? You know? Mm hmm. I always think it's interesting to see like, because like in using Instagram as the example, you go back a couple of rows and you're like, oh, here's a whole bunch of black people, but there's none after and there's none before. Before. And so, and, and honestly, like, I think, I think it applies to people of color. I think it applies when it's like, wait, it's pride month. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of this, but I'm not going to do it at any other time. And so this is where for me, I've actually kind of not done a lot of like yelling at that point, because I still consider myself an ally to LGBTQIA plus people outside of that. And so why am I gonna come and show up and stick a rainbow on all my shit right now, but the rest of the year, I'm not doing anything. And I've just, and luckily there's been more and more people that are like, they're calling businesses out for popping up and making everything rainbow when it's appropriate to make the money. But then what happens to it? Do you actually support this? Are you giving money back to the people that should be getting it? Do you have anything in your company culture that says that it's safe for me to actually exist in your business as this versus you wanting to sell this cute shirt? Like what else yeah. is there? And so I think it's very important from the auditing standpoint to then again, go back to how are you spending your money and the acknowledgement around the fact that like everything that you do, there's so much more that goes into it than simply how much something costs or, you know, any of this coaching buffoonery that shows up around just fix your mindset. Mm, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, please don't. Oh, oh yeah, the know. money mindset thing. We absolutely have to talk about that. Um, before we move on to that, uh, the beauty of being in our community is you're able to be here live with us and submit questions. And so we had someone ask the question, do you have websites or resources that you would suggest to use to vet vendors? It's a really great question. And I'm wondering what each of your answers are. So um, I can share with you a spreadsheet i did not create this and bless the person who did because it is extensive but i am so grateful for it i am happy to share with um india and erica this spreadsheet that this person put together of a lot i won't say all of them but a lot of different vendors and what their statements were and where they where they stood at the time that she put this together and mm. as a result of that for example I use a smarter queue for my social media and I'm really looking to move on and, and find something else. Although they are an international firm, they were really, really soft. Like they didn't want to, they didn't want to make, they didn't want to make a statement. And I'm like, I don't care that you're not based in this country. It should matter to you what's happening here. A and B black lives matters everywhere. Not just Those here. Those <laughs> protests were everywhere. They were exactly. not just here. 
Exactly. Agreed. So, um, yeah, I am looking for a substitute, but I'm more than happy to share that that spreadsheet so folks can dive into it and just see, you know, who they're using and where they fall on that and then maybe add their own. Because I think it is open source mm. where people, if they can't add it, they can send an email to the people who have curated it for it to be added. Nice. I was going to say, because that was one of my thoughts. I'm like, because I can think of a few things over the past few months that I've seen that I'm just like, Mm, I can't give you my money anymore or some that I'm right. like, I didn't think about it, but I can give you my money. You can have these coins. You can have these. Here you go. So, right. and, but it's, but the most important thing that you said is that this is about it being a living list because so much yeah. of it is like, this is what happened then. But there's a lot of people that are doing all the right things, air quotes, and then <laughs> something goes wrong. And it's like, wait, you know that that past stuff didn't absolve you here for this foolishness. You do understand <laughs> that, right? That wasn't a right. pass. That wasn't like, right. oh, yeah, you did good. So you got to get out of jail, you know, free, unwoke card for the day. No. Right. No. Right. So, right. Erica, are you kind of trusting your, your intuition when you're making a decision to invest? Or are you kind of going through, like, some specific things that you're looking for? It's a little bit of both. Part of it is intuition because I will say for me, when I don't listen to that, I pay for it because usually like if I'm like, oh, I mean, I guess it's fine. And then I'm like, I knew I shouldn't have did that. That's right. So <laughs> intuition is definitely a piece of it. And so what happens then is, I mean, one of the gift and a curse curses that are happening right now is that so much of it is being publicized. And so it is a lot easier to be aware of, you know, who are you banking with and things like that. And so you can now get more information around what people are doing or not, or what their statements are and what their stances on things that you kind of didn't have access to before. So for example, I read something a few months ago that talked about banks. Um, and so I actually really like banking with banks that are connected to TD Bank because it's one of the few banks that's a black bank, US-based wise. Um, and so, um, you know, you're able to get more information around it and you're able to make a decision. And I think you have to decide what your ethics are and what your deal breakers are. And then kind of just be like, all right, what do I need to do with this? And also giving yourself um, a slight bit of grace not in a sense of like, oh, it's okay for this to be terrible, but from a sense of like, it is very challenging to vet all the things and have them perfect at one time. That's just like, I am not in any way, shape or form a fan of Amazon, but you know, I just try to minimize the hell out of what I buy from them. So I think my approach is similar to yours. I'm listening to my intuition, but I'm also proactively finding um, like better alternatives to invest my dollars into instead of looking at like, okay, um, here's a formal list of where not to spend my money or where to spend my money. I've actually gotten back to my roots of shopping local, shopping small, investing in um, clients where I know where their values stand into their businesses, mm -hmm. um, people within their network where they know where they stand as well. Um, and as much as possible, I've started to pull my money out of big corporations. Yeah, there are some things that like, you kind of have the Walmart, the Target, the Amazon as the option. It's really hard to find elsewhere. But as much as possible, I've been trying to get things from just 
small businesses. But what you said is an important piece of it because it's virtually impossible to do that if you're not having the conversations with people to figure out what are some alternatives that you know of? Where else can I find these things? What other platforms exist? What is a better choice? Is there a uh, BIPOC or LGBTQIA plus um, vendor that I can purchase this from? And so a lot of this really does come also with being able to have these conversations that this is what you're looking for because it you're not gonna just go put in a Google search for like, you know, social media schedulers and get the most inclusive ones at the top. That's not how that's going to work. And so, so much of it is us talking with each other to say, I made a different choice because this is what happened and I'm sharing it with you. And so there is a lot of value and necessity in having dialogue around when something is no longer the best choice, what are better alternatives and holding people's feet to the fire when they make stupid choices. Hello, Hootsuite. (laughs) So um, we had someone comment that it'd be great to do a share on social media to help create conversation about these alternative brands. And I'm gonna completely agree with that. We all have a platform. It doesn't hurt you to share a business that you enjoy. It doesn't hurt you to amplify the voice of someone else. And I feel like we had like one thread that started with a question and turned into like, here's where we're investing in our client gifts. And Mm -hmm. I found like three new brands in there that I enjoyed. So sometimes it's about starting the conversation and sharing what you know. Um, That's one of the things that we're more than happy to start doing more of on our social media pages. Yes. And if I can just jump in, um, you know, the the myth that is out there is that culturally we don't talk about money and i disagree with that i think we're having the wrong conversations and so this is really an invitation to have more of quote unquote the right conversations so indeed you know telling people what you're doing with your money and 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 the why behind those choices is a way of expanding quote unquote the right discussions when it comes to money So if you can go ahead and expand on that a little bit, what are some of the right conversations or the better conversations? And what are the ones that aren't, aren't, aren't the best? They're not going to really get us where we're trying to go. So I think it's probably a little bit easier to start with the conversations that are not going to get us too far. And that is when you're just exclusively focusing on the numbers and not what's behind those numbers like what are the choices what are the motivations you know what are um the benefits that someone else is getting that you may not see as to why they might be suggesting a over b so there's that piece in terms of um what should we be talking about i'd love to give this example and it comes from my idea around voting voting with your dollars is also about who you vote for and making sure that who you vote for especially for those here who own a business are folks that actually have a small business agenda and platform and policies because if you look at a lot of the policies that are coming out of dc Many of them are aimed toward the Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies. But the reality is when you think about how many 
people are employed by small businesses, they are greater than the number of people that are employed by the larger organizations. And those policies though are more in line with supporting those larger businesses but at the cost of supporting the smaller businesses. And the, the visual that I always like to give in this regard is the state of Texas, because, and I haven't updated this stat, but this is only a couple of years old. Fortune 500 companies employ about 28 million people. That's about 17% of the nation's workforce. Small mm -hmm. businesses, up until at least COVID, employ about 57 million people. Wow. Yet, when you look at our tax code, hello, $750. When you look at our tax code, when you look at our healthcare policies and healthcare reform, all of that is done with the Fortune 500 companies in mind, not the smaller businesses that employ the majority of the workforce. So that's also what I mean about voting, you know, your voting matters and voting with your dollars making sure that you're voting for people that are literally <laughs> making decisions about what happens with your dollars. Because yes. while you can control one aspect of it, there's another element that you don't really have much control over, i.e. how the tax code is designed, i.e. if you're like me and you self-insure, there aren't but so many options <laughs> that you have when it comes to selecting insurers. So there's both ends of it. And, and I think I'm rambling right now, so I'll be quiet. <laughs> no, you dropped a ton of truth bombs there. We have right. some wow, powerful mm -hmm. in the chat box. <laughs> and so what you said that I want to make sure I kind of slightly piggyback on is the fact that what you said, you can initially hear that stat and think, wow, that sounds like such a large percentage, that small business. But let's also remember that uh, all the foolishness with trying to get PPP loans and EIDL loans with COVID let everybody know that a small business is less than 500 people per location. So Shake Shack that got all that money was a $10 million that has, I don't know how many locations and who knows how many people per location because of that discernment of what put them in that category fell into the bucket of being a small business. And so when you have somebody on that same type of line being put against somebody that is an entrepreneur and company of one and maybe has a part-time VA and you're all fighting for the same things, that is extremely lopsided at best. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be a whole nother need, uh, like section called like micro small business or something because to right. have the same rules apply to Shake Shack as it does to one of our businesses just doesn't even make sense to me. Mm -mm. No, nope. no, it doesn't. And the same and the same. And I wrote about this recently, um, the same with minimum wage. I mean, obviously, I want people to be paid a living wage. But, you know, that $15 per hour has a much different impact on a small business than it does a Fortune 500 company. Mm hmm as an example. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's very different. And this is where that to me, that's a good example of, um, it's not equitable because it's saying we're going to do the same thing across the board, but that's not equitable because one, you yeah. haven't decided where this $15, $15 in New York is not the same as $15 in yes. the middle of nowhere, Florida or the middle of nowhere, Omaha. And 
it doesn't address whether or not that company can stay in business. And so for some people, it's very easy to say, oh, well, then you just shouldn't be a business. And it's like, so you want all the small guys to go away and all you have is, you know, the, the, the Walmart franchise eating everything. Is that what we're trying to do? Or Bezos just being like, let me just absorb everything. Come, just come on to, come on to daddy. I take all of you. Right. right. Okay. Pause. So I'm going to throw in an interesting question <laughs> because money has to come from somewhere. And I think that we saw this year, a lot of businesses were on like the brink of maybe having to file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. If each of you could choose one business to bankrupt or one person to bankrupt, <laughs> who would it be? <laughs> Woo! Wow. <laughs> yes. I threw that question out there. Wow. I have a hard, so here's why I have a hard, I'm not trying to dodge it per se, but here's why I have a hard time with it. Because when a company goes bankrupt, it's not just either the owner or the CEO that gets impacted. It's all of the people that are beneath it. So if we think about Disney, right, just announcing that they're laying off 28,000 people, that's a lot of freaking families now without any source of income. And oh, by the way, without a source of income and very limited options given the economic climate that we're in. So on one hand, I'd love to be able to come up with the name of a company, but then on the other hand, I'm like, but it's not just the people that are the decision makers that get impacted, it's all of the other folks who have absolutely no voice that also Mm -hmm. get impacted. So I have a hard time coming up with a, a company because of that. And so for me, I feel like if I was going just off of emotion, I would say that orange man squatting over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue face a Black Lives Matter Plaza. Um, But that is based off of emotion. And so, and I also know that bankrupting him actually just benefited him. So he's actually an example of how bankrupting somebody actually does not do what we have told ourselves bankrupting actually does. For people like him, you got all these businesses that go bankrupt just to help you come tax time. Hello, $750. However, Mm -hmm. I'm also going to go back and say that I don't have an answer because whoever that person that would be, that I think it would make a difference across what we know as our society that person is not a name that we know. I don't know it. So I'm not saying it like I know there's some Illuminati stuff. I'm saying it because when you see people that are celebrities or they're um, entrepreneurs and like, like, let's think like a Mark Cuban. These are names that you see and you see them pretty prominently. But the people that really have the money and are really controlling things, you don't know who they are. And it's supposed to be that way. And so whoever it is that is truly funding the things that make it so that I have to use my voice in a way to set life up in a certain way for my kids to be able to do as good as they can when I am no longer walking this earth in this body that I exist in. I don't know that mofo's name, but you don't need that son. (laughs) As, As someone who used to work in the private bank at a major firm managing money for high net worth individuals, I can very much attest to the fact that that you would be in some rooms and you would never know that that person's net worth was the amount that it was. So yes, that's very, very true. Right. So I kind of threw out a trick question. Oh, wait, wait, you got to answer the question too. Who are you? You ain't getting (laughs) out. 
for me, I don't. I'm on board with both of you because I feel like if you're bankrupting someone, it actually helps them out. And I'm so glad that you two answered it that way because I think that many people think, well, if we just have a company go so far down that they file for bankruptcy, it solves the problem and the money just magically appears into the other company that we'd rather support. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. We have That's to a symptom, not choices. a disease. Exactly. Like you're just, you're just fixed. Like, it's like, let me take, let me take a motion for my brain tumor. That's, that's not <laughs> what we need, boo. We need to get some real things going. Hold fast. What are we doing? Absolutely. So, yes. So go ahead. I mean, interrupt, but I was like, wait, you're not escaping. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's true. And um, just being in the entertainment industry and seeing how some of that works, as well as like big corporation business. You don't know who the owners are. They can walk right past you and you have no idea. You think it's somebody or you think it's a name that's been preached to you for many years, but that person's dead and gone and it's someone else actually pulling all the strings. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. You ready for another question from the community? Yes. Okay. Let's see. It says, uh, where are examples of major corporations taking consistent values-based actions, even when it possibly goes against money and investor-based financial interest? Um, And how do you choose when you serve so many people whose values you as a corporation align with? It's like choosing the least evil corporate bank or cell phone or internet provider. So I'll answer mm. the first one. And granted, you know, more in more recent days or maybe weeks, they've laid off some folks. But I'm going to give Salesforce a shout out. I'm going to give Salesforce a shout out for spending, if I have my numbers correct, spending $10 million to make sure that there was pay equity again, you know, amongst their employees. So helping to um, minimize as much as possible, if not completely, the gender pay gap. That was huge, mm. especially because it's, they spent the $10 million mm. to do that. And I have not heard of any other corporation of that size, you know, whether you consider them a tech firm or not. I've not, con- I've not heard of any other firm not only taking the initiative to do that, but then letting that be a bottom line, a cost to their bottom line to make sure it happens. So I would put them out there for that. Yeah. Nice. Um, I can't think of any major corporations off the top of my head. Um, and that to me is kind of telling because I can't genuinely think of any ones that I'm like, are you really doing something against the advice of many people to not do this for X, Y, Z reason? Because this is where I think I, I see it more with small to midsize where like, for example, um, after the murder of George Floyd, um, Adrian Dorison with uh, run like clockwork was like, I want to give the, um, our program away to people that are working within or affiliated with the DEI space. Because right now you're getting inundated with large amounts of people coming to you. And I want to make sure that you can not only service these people, but you can make your business run better for it. And it's not a cheap program. And so to pop up and be like, however many people show up, 
I will give it to you for free. And it wasn't like, here's an amended piece. Here's just the stuff that we don't have to show up for. No, they showed up for all the live calls. They made specific spaces just for us. And to me, that was one of those things where it was like, you didn't have to do this. And they were also like, we're going to do our own work as well, because we don't want to just have this be an empty thing. And so it's not a major corporation, but it was the kind of action that to me didn't have to be done. And it went beyond those first couple of weeks when people were very reactionary. So it was to me an example of something that cost money and time and effort. And it was given now for the second question. I'm going to say that for that question to me, it's going to be very um, linked to, and it's referenced in my um, imperfect allies checklist on ericacorday.com, the sense of when you go to interact with um, different communities or you choose to participate in an event, how do you choose to participate or not participate? And you have to, yep, see somebody mentioned it. Like I have trouble with this with phone providers, AT&T or Verizon. And so you almost have to decide maybe what feels like the lesser of the evils and why you're sticking with it. The fact yes. of the matter is we are not in a position where as much as people want to say, I'm going off the grid, that's a lie. Like, that's not even a real thing. But okay, you can tell yourself that if you want, especially when you're running a business. Internet, computers, cell phones, these are things that we utilize. And so if you have these things that maybe aren't through, oh gosh, yes, social media, who child? I'll let India touch that. But like, you have these things that don't come from the purest of originators. And yet, what do you do with it? That's just like if you get paid through a company that you're working for and you're like, your ethics are trash, but I'm going to take a large percentage of this and I'm going to feed it right back into the LGBTQIA plus community that I know you don't like. Take that. And so there is this, this place of being very conscious of, okay, I know this is the not my favorite choice, but this is the choice I'm going to make. But this is what I'm going to utilize with what I receive from this company that does feel more aligned with my ethics. Can I just piggyback on that and, mm-hmm. and comment on how I think we have to come up with our gray zone list, right? There, mm-hmm. There's clearly what's on the yes list. There is clearly what's on the no list. And then what's in your gray zone? So here's a personal example. I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation that I self-insure, right? So I get my health insurance through Oscar. Well, imagine my can just complete utter disappointment when I discovered that Jared Kushner's uh, equity firm was one of the investors. Oh, oh God, that killed me. Oh no. But again, very limited options. So like, what's the trade off that I make with that? And Mm -hmm. I think especially when we think about our insurance companies and how many of the insurance companies, when you look at their history, you know, insure not only slavery, but you don't even have to go back as far as slavery, just go back to the 1920s. And how many of those insurance companies didn't pay the insurance claims on the houses and businesses, whether you look at Tulsa, whether you look at Wilmington, North Carolina or Rosewood, when you look at all of those thriving black communities that were, you know, decimated, decimated. 
and the insurance companies didn't step in. And yet some of us are probably doing business with those insurance companies today. So that's why I think while it's important for us to know where our line is, it's also important for us to make peace with those gray zones. I agree. That's an amazing point. And I think, and as somebody that if it wasn't for having a spouse with insurance through his employer, it would be the same having a pre-existing condition. Um, is very, it has always been difficult because I've had, I have Crohn's disease and I've had it since I was in my twenties. It is not easy nor cheap to get insurance and there Mm -hmm. are very few options. And Mm -hmm. so it's either I'm going to stand on my high ground and live on the street, but I got insurance because I can't pay my mortgage (laughs) or my rent because like, this is not real life. And so I, I agree 100% on that. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit uh, just to make sure we're staying on time. I have one final question from the community um, that I wanted to make sure that we covered. And that is your thoughts on finding the balance of wealth building as a white woman plus navigating inclusivity or contributing to our collective financial liberation. How can you approach doing that without coming off like a capitalist evil, if that makes sense? So I, I would love for us to like reclaim capitalism, if you will. Yes, there are many aspects of it that don't work the way that it's currently operated. But here's a reality. If we did not have at least this form of capitalism at this moment, the three of us may not have our own businesses. Right. Because that is one of the abilities that we get from this form of capitalism, even with all of its failings. So that's one piece. The second piece is whenever I'm talking with my clients or doing a workshop and we're talking about wealth, I really try to endeavor to use that as an opportunity to expand what we mean by wealth. So looking at financial wealth. And really the three ways that you can build that is by owning a business, investing in the stock market or having income producing real estate. So that's one dimension, but there are other dimensions. There's social wealth. How much are you giving to people that you know and people that you don't know through charities and and, um, maybe even political organizations. So there's financial wealth, there's social wealth, there's time wealth, there's physical wealth, there is mental well-being, spiritual, emotional wealth as well. And so for me, I think an important part of the wealth conversation is what does wealth mean to you in each of those different domains when you break it down that way? Yeah, I think that's so important. And for people who are new to you, um, I do want them to walk away with the understanding that a big part of your work as a financial behaviorist is you're not just looking at the money, but you're also looking at the emotions, the feelings, um, the history, the stories, the mindsets attached to that. And I, I wanted to ask, um, like from your perspective, is there anything different that people need to consider, um, or to be aware of when we're looking at talking about money or wealth or finances under the white male model versus people of color? I think emphasizing slow wealth. (laughs) And what I mean by slow wealth is you're not trying to just make a quick dollar and then, you know, get on and get out and, and do that without any regard of the consequences. 
Um, someone in the chat mentioned SRI investing, so that's socially responsible investing. So that means if you are investing in the stock market, then making sure to the extent that you possibly can, that you are indeed working with mutual funds or advisors that do so through a socially responsible, responsible lens. So I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the initial thoughts that come to mind for how you can do that. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, doesn't often get talked about is that wealth is something that, um, it's a, it's a word and a concept that isn't often enough spoken for black and brown people, for people that are not white, particularly white male. And I want to have you just for a, for a second, talk a little bit about maybe what some of the limitations or dare I say mindsets that can come up when it comes to the creation of wealth and the um, continuation of growing and actually maintaining that wealth, uh, particularly for black people. I think one of the major distinctions that we need to also make sure that, um, and when I say we, I don't mean here in this conversation, but just the bigger, larger cultural we, we need to make sure that people understand that there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Being rich is all about your income. Being wealthy is about the assets that you have and how the degree to which those assets are greater than your liabilities. And so the, one of the reasons I say that is because I think sometimes the, the mindset and quotation that people have is that they've got to wait until something big happens before they can start working on their wealth building initiative hogwash <laughs> you can start even when you have quote unquote a little amount and i think you know there's also this idea of making sure that you understand you know wealth is relative so what do i mean by that by no means is my family or was my family from a private banking background but i consider the fact that when my mother died she didn't have a mortgage and so the fact that i was able to grieve her uninterrupted because there weren't you know, financial decisions that I needed to make that I wasn't prepared to make. The fact that I had the ability to take two years before I sold her house, to me, that's coming from a wealthy position. And my mother worked for social security for 38 years. So like really understand that wealth doesn't mean that you have to be like that person who is not a billionaire, but claims he's a billionaire. Like wealth can be the fact that when you leave this earth, you truly do leave a legacy because you left assets to the generation behind you with no debt. Like to me, that's also a form of wealth. Yeah, powerful. Leaving no debt to me is a huge one and how I, I will agree. I think for, for a lot of people, they equate seeing money uh, in the form of items or cars or things of that nature and somehow they equate that to wealth when that is not wealth at all. And it makes me think about that whole like new money versus old money. And uh, what was that book? Um, uh, the Millionaire Next Door. Yes. You're not wearing expensive clothes. You're not buying new cars. You live in a modest house. And so it's more about, 
Um, now, granted, they talk about some of the downfalls of some of these actions, but you know, you have money to pass on to your kids. You have money to be able to put them in a specific place, which this is where we talk about, okay, I have money to go out and, you know, college is paid for. I have no debt. My business, I had 50,000, 100,000 waiting on me to start this. This changes the game, but it also changes things in the sense that if, if done and taught wisely and consciously, it changes the lineage of how you receive process hold on to and then disperse the money from an educated place and not a, I'm going to make it rain because it looked good on the video. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did a, um, I, I did a workshop for the NBA and this was a few years ago and it was a part of their rookies and transition program. So, you know, after they do the whole free agent, the draft, I should say, and mm-hmm. the people get drafted, the NBA does this, um, extensive, preparing the players for life as a professional athlete. And I went in to do a financial workshop and I had the nerve to tell these young men that just because you have these multi-million dollar contracts, you're rich, you're not wealthy. (laughs) So don't go buy the house. Don't go buy the latest Range Rover, like get last year's one or get the floor model. (laughs) Yep. There's something to that because I think that unfortunately many people of color don't get that education and so they get into the entertainment world or the music world or the sports world and they don't know how to manage their money their behavioral patterns have not been set to preserve and to think about tomorrow instead of what looks good for today well because if you've never had it you don't know what to do with it it. and even if you do i think that and jacquette i want your information like your insight on this because i think that there's also a bit of a learning curve in that even once you learn what to do, it takes time to truly understand it and to execute it in a way that's gonna get you to that goal because it's not just as simple as, oh, I'm just gonna save. It's bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And I think, you know, if I can continue to use the athletes as an example, I think part of it is you want them to enjoy it. Just like we want to enjoy when we celebrate and we reach a milestone and that brings in new revenue, we absolutely should enjoy that. The challenge is, do we have rules? Do we have, you know, a game plan? Do we know what the the things are that we need to be paying attention to that trip us up? And for the athletes, part of it is they feel an obligation and some of it is definitely, you know, an obligation that they should have to all of the people that help them get to where they are. Hmm. And it's hard to say no. And I think we all can sometimes relate to that notion of it being hard to say no maybe we don't have the commas and zeros behind those commas that they do but you know we might have a hard time saying no to a family member to a child and all of that so i think that's when it, it helps to pay attention like just simply be attuned to when you were doing something and why you were doing something. Because one of the things that I always remind people of is that you are probably going into your wallet every day, whether it's to get your cash or debit card, credit card, or you're going online to do a transaction, whether it's a banking or a purchase. And to you, it just seems like you're just doing what you're doing. But every single time you're getting reflected back to you, your values, your beliefs, your expectations, your fears, 
the, the extent to which you are contributing to your dreams. Simply pay attention when you are doing those things to which of those emotions are, are coming to the forefront. And that will give you so much insight just in that regard, just that simple pause Speaking of pause on the play, um, <laughs> that simple pause, you know, of what's coming up for me as I do this will help you tremendously. Yeah, and I want to say that while that. we're, I'm like, and I'm just, I'm just like, wow, I'm like the whole going in the bank account thing. I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Pay and even as like um, three women of color, you know. I want it to not be lost, that that applies to anyone. We have it happening in the chat right now where members are saying that, you know, they're of different age ranges and some of them are white and they've never really considered some of these things and that there's a mm -hmm. deficit in our culture and in our education of the emotions and the habits and the behavioral patterns around money as a whole. So the funny part is I think that the emotions and the patterns and that particular particular piece of it is so important but I almost feel like before we can even get there can we have the remedial pieces even show up as a basis like to me I'm like can people graduate high school understanding what not to do with credit when they go to college to maybe have less people come out in trouble because this little plastic card that seems like it has no limit on it got you in hot water so I always feel like it, it again and it feels very remedial in the whole like the old school balancing a checkbook and, you know, or like the, the envelope method, whatever the thing is, so that people don't go out in a way that now we're going to let you out into the wild and this is going to go left and whoops, sorry, you know, yeah. you're stuck. You know, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. And here's the flip side to that. I think that we, ha we have to do a couple of things. We have to make sure that it's not a one and done conversation, yes. which is what so much of quote unquote financial literacy. And for those who don't know me, I hate that term. Oh, I hate that term. <laughs> Hold on, pause. Tell us why. She told me that the first time I talked to her, I was like, oh, why? I was intrigued from that point. I was intrigued Hell before that, but I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> so a, a, a quick history, you, you know, the financial literacy came about so just in case anybody doesn't know, I've been in financial services since 1986. And what got me interested in behavioral finance was observing up close and personal the crash of 87. So why is that an important context? Financial literacy came out in the late 80s, early 1990s as a result of banks going into underserved communities. And it was a part of there, if you go into this neighborhood um, in order for you to do that, you're going to have to offer financial literacy uh, classes to the community. And so it was a part of, if I haven't said it, it was a part of their Community Reinvestment Act, CRA credit. So they got credit if they went into a community that they would have to do these outreach for the people in that community. Well, then what they did they do? They were just like, oh, we'll just do financial literacy classes. But what are those financial literacy classes? Nothing more than how to open up a checking account, how to open up a savings account. And, oh, you're really broke. You don't know how to manage money. So we're going to teach you the basics. And my whole thing is, if a dollar is going to make a difference in my life, you better darn well know that I know where every single one of my dollars is going, every single one of my pennies. So I have a hard time with financial literacy because it does a couple of things. It makes it appear that only people who are on the lower end of the income spectrum might even be on the lower end of the educational spectrum are the only ones that need help with their money. 
when every single one of my clients is college educated, professional, sometimes with multiple degrees, and they too need help with their money. But no one, no one's going to raise their hand and go into a bank with an MBA from Harvard, who was my first coaching client and say, I need financial literacy. Come on. <laughs> so I don't like it because it deduces it in terms of its focus and only, you know, thinking about the numbers when there is so much more to your financial success than the numbers. If it were that easy, we'd be having a different conversation when it comes to voting for your dollars. Um, and then also it, it's limiting in terms of who it is targeted towards. So that's why I have such a hard time with it. Thank you so much for breaking that yeah. down because there's so much history in there and being born in 87, a lot of it I didn't even know. So thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. We have one last question. And I know I said I'd ask the last one, but it's actually really good. <laughs> so is it okay if we ask? Yeah. Okay. Um, when we live in a capitalist society, it feels like a resistance to shift that focus away from money and toward making space for mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health. What are some radical forms of self-care that help keep you motivated? Well, what makes it radical? <laughs> you know, for me, um, running on a consistent basis uh, keeps me sane. Meditating on a consistent basis keeps me sane, as as well as journaling. So I'd be curious if the person is still here, if they could define for me what makes it radical. Well, yeah. So <laughs> she said hydrating feels radical these days. Absolutely. Oh my god, I can relate to that because I'm realizing I think I drink more water than I actually do. See, yes, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> well, and so the interesting thing about that is that I think there's something to be said about what is considered radical under uh, standard or normal terms, air quotes, and what feels radical now. And so I'm going to say what maybe feels more radical or more almost like an act of rebellion on a, on a on a more level playing field, because there's nothing level about where we are right now. But like in, let's say... November, December of last year, like things that you're like, you took time and did what? You went where? You went to what? What? Like, because there's, we as a society don't, we don't uh, honor that as well as I think we really could and should. I struggle with using the word shoulds, but it's a fact. There's that. Um, I can relate to that piece. But I'm also going to say, and maybe this is just the perspective of a black woman, um, but I feel like every day that I get my gallon of water in feels radical. Every day that I am eating food that isn't slave master scraps like chitlins and stuff and choosing to not <laughs> eat shall. meat mm. feels radical because given you know my ancestral background, these are things that my ancestors couldn't choose to do. They couldn't drink alkaline water. They didn't have access to that, um, you know, and certain foods were by design, um, whether it be because your community only had certain groceries in the grocery store or because it was all that you were given as the leftovers. So I don't know if that's a helpful answer, but I just think that it's a valid one to throw out there that what's radical for one might look really different than what's radical for someone else. 
I really, I, I yeah. appreciate um, both of what you said for a couple of reasons, or, or what both of you said for a couple of reasons. One, so often the conversation of quote unquote privilege is limited to white privilege. And that there is that, right? There is definitely that. But I also think, you know, the, the idea that we have as, as women of color, and for me, black of Jamaican American descent, we have some privilege too. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people that when I talk about that, they're like, what? You said you have privilege? And I'm like, I didn't grow up in the in the in the hood. I, I had quality education. Was it as, as unbiased as I would have liked? No, but I had it. I wasn't food insecure. Mm-hmm. I I had stable living conditions. I am aware of both of who my parents are. They are not incarcerated. I have not been incarcerated. Like I am not parented or partnered with anyone that is incarcerated. I can choose what I like. I am relatively healthy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's a lot of privilege there. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when we think about this current moment in time, the fact that we have been able to sustain our business through businesses through this, that's privilege. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, but let's, but let's acknowledge being, a black person especially right now a black person that is thriving that is an act of rebellion getting up and taking care of yourself and speaking your truth in a way that is not about assimilation is a fucking act of rebellion in itself your whole existence yes is a rebellion yes and so for the person in the chat that said that for the person that says, I am not going to hide behind any of the societal indicators that could afford me a certain amount of privilege just because I was born into them and I didn't have a choice and I'm going to speak my truth and support people from an equitable place, that is radical. Right. Absolutely. Totally. And I think that there's an immense power in acknowledging those privileges um, because then we can decide how we want to use them. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> If we're not yep. willing to acknowledge that they're there, then we're not willing to actually put them to good use. Yep. Um, I know we're coming up on time. So I want to find out from you as like a final thing to leave off with is what are you most excited about looking forward into your business and into your life? Because I know that 2020 has been a bit of a roller coaster for a lot of people. And if we didn't talk about it already here on the podcast, you're also based in Brooklyn, New York. So you've seen a lot of things so I think it's great to hear something that you're looking forward to something that you're excited about you know I am excited about how much time do we have because I would like to tell a story but I don't want to take too much time if it's going to take too long we're here for for you so um my business has the three pillars to it right there's the one-on-one coaching that I do mostly with entrepreneurs and it's either on their personal finances or looking at the integration of their personal finances along with business coaching, which then includes business finances. I'm a for hire speaker, law firms, corporations, large conferences, boutique conferences will hire me to come and speak. And then I host events. Year to year, it's always like a horse race between which is my leading pillar, never the, the events that I host, but it's either coaching or the for hire speaking. And to put this into context, in 2018, I was on the road every single week from September through December, except for 10 Ooh. days. 
Wow. So that's how crazy my speaking schedule can be. I loved every minute of it, but that's how crazy my speaking schedule can be. That wasn't necessarily what was on tap at the beginning of this year, but it was it was full. So when March 12th hit, <laughs> I was like, holy crap, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And here's where the power of a having a business community comes into play. Here's where the power of being open and being willing to tweak and pivot on the dime comes into play. Because one of my business besties reached out to me and said, hey, I know your business just took a huge hit. Well, I have a mastermind. We were supposed to be out of the country for our retreat. That's not going to happen. I know you talk about pricing. Pricing is one of the things that they have a a challenge with. Would you come and do your pricing workshop for us? And she paid me my rate. I was like, yeah, that's perfect. That opened the door for me to end up speaking inside six masterminds between then and now. Here's why that's, talk about radical. Here's why that's radical. Because even though I've been in masterminds and uh, I know people who run them, it never ever occurred to me to offer my pricing workshop inside somebody else's mastermind. And even though I'm also for one mastermind, like their in-house financial coach, like it just never occurred to me. Why is that, how does that lead into the answer to your question? When I did my mid-year review, my revenue was 47% higher from January to June 2019 than January to June 2019. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> what I am excited about is like doubling down on, wow, I would have never discovered this without this <laughs> challenge of everything that's going on. And now that I've discovered it, how can I be more intentional about it? So I'm really excited about that on the business front. And then on the personal front, um, not to end on a a down note, but just a real note. I mentioned earlier that my mother died. My mother died in August of 2014. The man that I was with for four and a half years, we soon broke up and then he died. So I, even though we weren't together at the time of his death, I felt like a girlfriend widow. And so I just, just had many years of just being in a fog, a grief fog. Well, now that I'm out of my grief frog, fog, I'm ready to date again. So that's what I'm Ooh. looking for too. And I don't know how yes. that happens in a pandemic, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see y'all, y'all can't see me doing a wop, and if you're old enough, you know what that yes. is. I'm like, get it girl. <laughs> yes. Because, well, and I'm glad you said that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because so often people are so focused and let me talk about my business. And it's like, you have to be a whole human being. And I talk so often about, like, can we take care of the whole person? And that matters. That is how good you feel and how energized you feel. Because there's other things that and excite you that are a part of your life. And it's not about the person being that source of that. It's the opportunities. It's the options. It's possibility. And there's something so beautiful about that and let me tell you something this is where my self-serving part comes in there's something about black people when love show up on their face oh (laughs) i get so excited i'm like i'm like oh girl you you glowing i see it please yes 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 (laughs) thank you okay 
So I want to end with one final question that just popped into the chat. Oh. (laughs) How can we hire you to do what you're doing for our masterminds? Many of our community members have their own. Mm-hmm. They, they they put it in oh the question God. and in the chat. They were like, yes. hey, I did make like sure I'm going to make sure you don't miss this question. <laughs> because I want them to know it. But if it's something you want to share to the masses that are listening, please come yes. and talk to Sister Jaquette and yeah. send her them coins and hire her. Oh, my God. That is awesome. I love that. So thank you for that question. <laughs> and just send me an email. It's Jaquette at JaquetteTimmons.com. And I can yes. chat with you about it and we can take the next steps from there. That would be awesome. That's Thank what you. I'm talking about. And, her, and you will have that email in the show notes. And as always, this was amazing. And I, first of all, thank you to the community that came in and y'all showed up and you showed out and you asked questions and you contributed. And for that, we are immensely grateful because you helped to make this what it is. And Jaquette for showing up and talking to me in India and being able to bring your zone of genius in here and let us share in the amazingness that is in your head. Thank oh, you thank so you. much, ma'am. I appreciate, I appreciate that. So much. And, and I'll be in the community for the next 60 days. So if you want to continue this conversation, I'll be there too. <laughs> See that? See? Come on in here. And while you're there, hire that woman. Give her your money. I'm yes. Just- <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Thank you. That was so much fun. I absolutely love when we get to do those live episodes um, for our community. And it's such a benefit that we really love bringing to them and that when we record those live and that they get to be in the room, they're asking questions, they're able to shape that episode with their comments, their takeaways. They really are able to make sure that they're able to get what they want and need out of it and they're helping to shape it for you, the listeners. And there's an opportunity for you too to be able to contribute to that. So if you would like to be a part of our next live podcast recording, go ahead on over to pauseonaplay.com forward slash community. We would love to have you in the room. Again, this is not about us. This is about you. So being able to have you there and let you participate, be a part of that and be able to really get what you need out of it. It's such a powerful thing. And as always, this is for you. So we love knowing that you're listening and that you are a part of being the change that you want to see. Continue doing big shit, making things happen. Until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. 
Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?